As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. We have uh, throughout this summer been in a series on the Apostles' Creed, and uh, that's coming to a close. I always have uh, bittersweet feelings when I get to the end of a book or the end of a a series uh, because of the the joys, all the things that I've learned in in preparation. Uh, But we are today looking at the last phrase, I believe in, and... That's implied the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, as we begin to to look at this, I want to ask a, a question, one for you to ponder on a little bit. How did those without Christ deal with the end of life? How do those without Christ deal with the end of life? And how do they, those without Christ, get through the loss of a loved one or their own upcoming death? Now, if you're visiting with us, and if you uh, are not trusting in Christ as of now, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. You are most welcome. And we would welcome you to come at any time. Come to our worship services. As we uh, deal with this, and as I I make a statement like that, I don't want you to look uh, be feel looked down upon in any sense of the word. Those are actually questions that I have received again and again throughout my ministry, not just about death but about other difficult situations when one is going through uh, people saying, how how do those without Christ get through something like this? How do those without a church get through these kinds of things? And so 
Today, I hope you will ask yourself that question if you find yourself outside of Christ. Because that's a, a real life question. I often tell younger pastors uh, when we happen to be talking about the ministry and particularly about funerals, if they ask me about uh, uh, doing funerals and so on, I always say this, that a funeral or a memorial service is probably the best opportunity that I have to share the gospel, to share about Christ. I learned that as a young pastor when, when I was in, in a church for five years and I had 80 funerals in those five years. That's a lot uh, if you, if you want to break that down. But what, what it showed me was that what an opportunity for ministry on, on both fronts. It's an opportunity to, to comfort those who know Christ, to remind them of the glorious promises of the gospel and, and the, the peace that is offered when one does know Christ. But on the other side of it, at every funeral, I'm sure, that I have done, there have been unbelievers, sometimes mostly unbelievers. Now, think about that, especially if it's uh, in the church. Many times, those are people that would not come to church on Sunday, but they're there out of respect, rightfully so, for the family. But the other thing that's going on there is that they are thinking about something that most people avoid thinking about, and that is their own mortality. And especially unbelievers avoid thinking about that. And so that's why those moments, those times are often wonderful opportunities to share the glorious promises of the gospel. Well, today, I, I hope that there will be both. I hope that there will be comfort for those of you who are in Christ. And in all honesty, for those of you outside of Christ, I hope there will be discomfort until you come to know Christ and rest in him alone for eternal life. But let's look at the issues of this brief statement, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. First of all, the resurrection of uh, the body is based upon the resurrection of Christ. And I'm going to be using a lot of scripture. You can find the scripture in uh, the outline there in your worship guide and uh, you turn to it if, you, if you're quick. Uh, if not, you, you have it there for you for later reference. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, 
and you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who've already died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, now get what Paul's saying here. He is talking about the resurrection. And he says, he says look, if, if Jesus hadn't been raised, then what we're doing here today, next week you might as well sleep in because it's futile. We're kidding ourselves. He says, if Christ has not been raised. And he says, if, if our greatest hope is is this life and what's going on in this life, don't hate us. Pity us. Because we're pitiful. If Christ has not been raised from the dead. Because if he hadn't been raised, nobody else has been raised either. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So he's saying, don't bother pitying us. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this statement is among the, the first uh, statement of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. If it didn't happen, then don't go around talking about resurrections because nobody's getting raised. But if it did happen, then deal with it. Cope with it. Be encouraged by it if you're trusting in Christ. Consider it if not. And then we learn about our glorified body. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Christ in his glorified body and our glorified body. Now, what we know about the resurrection, we have to admit, is, is somewhat cloaked in, in some mystery. But we can be sure that, that whatever the resurrected body of Jesus was and is like. It is at least a, a framework, a paradigm uh, of our own resurrected state. So with that in mind, uh, going back to the, the passage I read earlier, let's see what Jesus' resurrected body was like. Luke 24 Verse 36, they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them. So this is after the crucifixion, after he's put in the grave, and he's, he's in there uh, Friday night, Saturday. They go back on Sunday. 
and he's not there. They've gathered what's going on. And it says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. That's probably about all they were ready to hear at that moment. Peace to you. He said to them, why are you troubled? I love that question too. What, what's bothering you? And then he goes on, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So that's, that's what's happening. And what we see is that uh, Jesus' body is uh, physical, but not with the same limitations. He stood among them in his body, and uh, there were some differences. I want to, we, we went over this when we were going through the Gospel of John, but let me give you another passage on this in John 20, verse 19, because it expands on this a little bit. Uh, verse 19 in John 20 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're locked in a room. Uh, they, they don't know if they're going to come and be arrested and maybe crucified too. They, they don't know what's coming. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So here's what we see. Uh, we don't know all the limitations and, and what limitations we will be freed from, but here we do see that his body wasn't even seemingly limited in the way that it was before his resurrection. He's outside of a locked room. He's inside a locked room. No mention of a, uh, some, a knock on the door, anybody letting him in, anything like that. There have been all kinds of explanations offered. So in some ways he's similar. In some ways he's not limited. Also his body was healed, but in a different way. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Uh, if you remember the account with, with Thomas, he said he wasn't there when this happened. He said, I'll believe it if I can, you know, put my finger in the wounds in his hand and in his, in his side and so on. So apparently... Because when he appeared to him, he showed him his wounds. He did for Thomas, and he said, go ahead. But here it says he showed his wounds. So, so here's what we see in terms of he was healed, but in a different way. He, uh, he's not in pain. He was crucified horribly. Nails through his hands, his feet or ankles. He wasn't having trouble walking. He was pierced in his side. No pain from any of that. And yet, his wounds were still visible, weren't they? 
So some would think, well, if you're going to get healed up with a glorified body, all your wounds, all your scars are going to go away. And maybe they will for us. But at least for Jesus, that was his perfect body with those glorious scars that were necessary for our salvation. Johnny Erickson uh, Tata, uh, many of you are familiar with, with her situation. Um, when she was a teenager, she had a diving accident. And uh, she's, she's about my, somewhere around my age now, because when I was in seminary, some of the guys in seminary were actually with her during that time. After the diving accident, she became a quadriplegic and has been in a, a wheelchair ever since that time. Here's what she has written as only a quadriplegic perhaps has the right to write. Here's what she says. One day the dream will come true. One day, if I should die before Jesus returns, my soul will be reunited with my body. Pause and dream with me. One day, no more bulging middles or balding tops. No varicose veins or crow's feet. No more cellulite or support hose. Forget the thunder thighs and highway hips. Those are terms I'm not even familiar with, actually. <laughs> I understood it up till there, but uh, she says, just a quick leapfrog over the tombstone, and it's the body you've always dreamed of. Isn't that amazing to think about? And surely for her, but for all of us. And I'm not sure our glorified bodies mean that, that we, we won't have, what did she say, bulging middles or balding tops. I'm not sure that's what that means or that we're all going to look like some picture of what we, we think would be the perfect body. But I am sure that we will have the perfect body as God determines the perfect body to be for us. And that's what we can look forward to. Then in this same passage, verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, here's what that tells me. He was recognizable. They knew it was Jesus because they thought they were seeing a ghost. They said, he's, he's dead. The only thing they could think of was it must be a ghost, must be a, a spirit. So evidently, we'll be recognizable to each other. Also, remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Uh, there you have Peter, James, and John, and they're look, and looking at Jesus. This is as Jesus is being prepared to go to the cross, and he is there with Moses and Elijah, and somehow they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Now, they hadn't seen them on TV. They, hadn't, they didn't have picture Bibles with pictures of Moses and Elijah and so on. How did they know? Somehow, they knew 
I, I, we will be recognizable. By the way, that also encourages me because I think we're not going to need name tags when we, when we are up there. Evidently, if they could figure out that was Moses and Elijah. So if you're uh, name challenged, be encouraged. I think we're going to be calling each other uh, by name, whatever name he gives to us. So it'll be a physical body, but not just a spirit. He says in verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So when he says, touch me and see, it's a physical body, not just a spirit. He says, I got flesh and bones. Um, Some have wrongly interpreted uh, the encounter with, with, with Mary, and this goes back to the, the old King James, how they translated it when we're uh, in the King James. It says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. The, the, and some think, well, if they touched him, he couldn't ascend, or uh, he might have disappeared, or, you know, there's lots of thoughts about what that meant. But the better translation for that is, don't grasp me. Don't hold me back. And of course, that would have been what she would have wanted to do. Any any of us would have wanted to do, to hold on to him. He says, I I haven't yet ascended. So don't, don't hold me back. So here they were allowed to touch Jesus. And those that did felt a real body. Other reasons we know it's a physical body, uh, verse 41, while they still disbelieve for joy. Isn't that a great phrase? While they still disbelieve for joy and were marveling and said to him, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. So we know it's a physical body because uh, he ate. And we know he ate more than once. Now again, we, we've got to admit when it, when it comes to that, we don't know much about the metabolism of our glorified body. I don't think when he said, uh, uh, have you anything to eat? I don't think it was like, you know, I've been in the tomb for these days. I'm starving. I got to eat something. I don't think it was that at all. I think he really wanted to eat. And, and what do we see with the eating? A connection there, a fellowship there. Jesus wasn't eating here or at the shore because he was so hungry. And I think that's how it's going to be for eternity. Jesus' banquet table, while it... it Some aspects may be figurative. I believe we're really going to enjoy food in eternity. And I think we're going to... That I get an amen on, okay? (laughs) It's okay. We, we, We can be encouraged by that too. Some of it may be figurative, 
but I think we'll be able to enjoy it in a way that we never have. This week I, I went in for lab work for my annual cardiologist thing, and they're going to look at my numbers and all that. And you know what? There's going to come a day where I don't think I'm going to need lab work. You see, that's, that's what we have in, in essence to, to look forward to of, of an enjoyment of connecting with Jesus and with others and in, in enjoying his banquet table and one another. Some people think, uh, and, and they're maybe somewhere a little bit worried about missing out on on certain things when they get to heaven or when we're in eternity. Uh, I think that's where the idea of the, you know, the, the bucket list thing has come in. If you've, if you've told me about your bucket list, don't worry, I'm not going to give you a lecture on that. I understand that, you know, it's okay to think about, yeah, I'd like to do that maybe before I, you know, get too old or I'm not able to do this or that or I'd really, really like to see that that's in my bucket list. That's okay. But from a Christian perspective, here, here's the thing. You don't need really a bucket list. This isn't your last chance. This isn't all there is. So I can say, you know what, I've never seen Yellowstone I would love to see Yellowstone, but if I don't see Yellowstone in this life, I've got all eternity. I'm going to see things way better than Yellowstone, way better. Things that we certainly can't even imagine. What we enjoy now is just a whisper. It's just a shadow of what we will see and experience in eternity. Now, our bodies will be somewhat different. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is, in, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. Sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So this outlines the difference, basically, that, that in the future, with our glorified bodies, they won't decay. Maybe you've heard it said that the moment we are born here in this life, we begin to die, speaking biologically, of course. That won't be the case with our glorified body. Not in any sense. When are we going to get that body? This is another one of those little corrections, and I, I don't correct people uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing a funeral or, or somebody is grieving. 
But I think a lot of, a lot of believers, you know, will say something like when somebody has died, well, now they got their, their new body and, and all of that. Well, it's true they're freed from this fallen world and this body, but we're going to get our new bodies when Jesus comes back. That's why we want him to come back. And that's when we will enjoy our glorified body. Now, the Apostles' Creed goes on and talks about the, the life everlasting. Uh, let me take you to John 11 again. I am the resurrection, verse 25, and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The life everlasting. Now, let me tell you what it's, it's, it's not. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 18, it says, Those who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they're upsetting the faith of some. So what they were saying is that uh, it's just a continuation of what this life is like now. Now, it's true that when one comes to faith in Christ, they begin a new relationship uh, with God that is not abo abolished, but actually is deepened in death. All of that is true from a, a spiritual perspective. Death sweeps away the remaining obstacles that are between us and Christ. But what about living forever? The Apostles' Creed is not just talking about living forever, that I believe in living forever. Why not? Because immortality and living forever just speaks of duration. And let's face it, everyone's going to live forever. Everyone is going to live forever. The devil, his demons, all who die rejecting Christ will also have a never-ending existence. But for them, that existence will be awful. Not a good thing. So what does the creed mean here? Well, here's what it is. Here's what the life everlasting is. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think most of us uh, have a real sense that even when, when we are in a time of blessing in our life, even when things are going wonderfully here in this life, we know there's more. Now, I don't ever want us to uh, not enjoy God's blessings here in this life. We should 
in joy. As long as he uh, gives us days on this earth, we should seek to enjoy his blessings. You know, think about blessings in your life. To me, grandchildren, they may be one of God's greatest inventions ever. It's great. It would be wrong for me not to enjoy and only to have an eye for the future and miss the blessings he gives to us in this life. Believers of all people should be living full lives because that's what he gives us. And it's in the middle of a fallen world, which makes it even a bigger contrast. But if you think this is your best life now, as some preach and as some write about, then you're setting yourself up for constant disappointment. If you think this is all there is, or you think this is the greatest thing, how could, how could life everlasting with Christ be better? And so we read earlier, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied if, if this is it. And Paul says elsewhere in Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. To live is Christ. Live. But when my big day has come, it's gain for me. It's even better. Now here's the other side of that. We should enjoy the blessing of this life, but know that something better is coming. One theologian, Burkhoff, says this. The believer looks forward to the future blessing not out of a sense of spiritual poverty here and now, but in view of the pledge of the spiritual blessings he or she already enjoys. It's out of a present day, a present abundance that the future hope is all the brighter. Here's what he's saying. He's saying we, we don't need to look toward the future because things are so crummy now, but instead look on the blessings we have now and understand it will be so much better in the future. So you think of the greatest and most wonderful aspects of this life and it will be way beyond any imagination for that. And here's how he describes it. The Lord does in Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. For that we rejoice in believing in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for wonderful blessings many of us have now, but whether or not we have any now, you, you promise us that there is an eternity for your people with you. And so, Lord, will you give us hearts of faith to really, really believe that and to take comfort in that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.